Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this coming Thursday, the church remembers the ascension of Christ our Lord, and we are celebrating Ascension Day here in this service. However, when you think of passages in Scripture about the ascension of Christ that describe the ascension of Christ, our text is probably not the first one you think of. After all, usually, John 20 is preached in connection with the resurrection, not with Christ's ascension. After all, Jesus' appearance to Mary here in our, in our reading from John 20 is probably the first appearance of our Lord to one of his followers following his resurrection. And yet, in this passage, Christ's ascension features prominently. And that's striking. The disciples, they had been devastated by Jesus' death. They thought that everything Christ had done in his ministry was now all for naught. But Christ rose from the dead, gaining everlasting life. And you can see Mary's pure excitement when Christ is revealed to her She is simply ecstatic to see the Lord. But Christ says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Did you catch that? Right? Just Jesus just rose from the dead, and yet he speaks of his upcoming ascension. And when he tells Mary to go speak to his disciples, what what message must she bring? Well, Christ does not say to her, tell the others that I'm alive again. I've overcome the grave. No, she must tell them about Christ's upcoming ascension. Of course, this is not not to take anything away from, from the resurrection of Christ. No, it is central. It is essential to the gospel. We know that. And yet Christ's words here in our text, his His emphasis on the ascension should cause us to pay careful attention to this great event of our Lord. And one that often does not receive our attention like Christmas or Easter. For Christ wants us to understand what his ascension means for our relationship with God. And he also wants wants us to rejoice in it. So as I preach you God's word this morning from John chapter 20, I'll do so under the following theme and points. Christ's ascension to the Father assures us of our eternal relationship with God. We have two points, the importance of Christ's ascension, and second of all, the good news of Christ's ascension. So it was very early on the, in the morning on the first day of the week, and just a few days before Christ had been crucified on a cross, and it was a tragic event on the one hand, but of course it was very good on the other hand, good for us. For this is why Christ came. He came to suffer and to die to pay for all of our sins against a holy God. And Christ is the eternal Son of God. He came from heaven to earth. His glory was hidden from view. And he took our human nature upon himself in order that he might take our punishment upon himself. 
And this punishment, of course, it came to a climax on the cross. As we read in Hebrews 2, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That is the work of Christ on the cross. But Christ, of course, did not stay dead. He did not stay in the grave. Because of his perfect life, because of his perfect obedience unto death, God raised Christ from the dead. The grave could not keep its hold on our Lord. And having risen from the dead on the first day of the week, Christ was, we could say, in a way, he was in an in-between state. His suffering was over. He had finished paying for our sins. Now he had a glorified body, free from all suffering, free from all decay. But he was not yet fully glorified in his Father's presence. He had not yet ascended to heaven to sit on his Father's throne. Before that, he would need to appear to his followers, and they would serve as witnesses to his resurrection. And we see something of that in our reading from John 20. Mary Magdalene was weeping at the tomb. She and the other women who went with her, they were distraught that the body of our Lord Jesus, it was gone. They thought his body had been stolen. And as Mary sat there weeping, she first spoke with the angel sitting there. And then she turned around and saw the Lord Jesus. But not knowing it was it was Jesus. She mistook him for the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. But in response, Christ merely spoke her name lovingly and tenderly. Mary, he said. And she exclaimed with joy, teacher, Apparently, she was so excited to see the Lord that she hugged him and, and held him tight. Or else maybe in reverence, she had bowed low and, and grasped his ankles. But Christ says to her, Do not cling to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, we might wonder why, why our Lord says this to Mary. After all, her grip might be tight, but I'm quite sure Mary did not have the strength to keep the Lord Jesus from ascending into heaven. So why does Christ say this? Well, for years now, both the disciples and women like Mary, they had followed Jesus. They grew to love him immensely, and they were shattered when he was crucified. But now Mary had him back. And surely this meant things would be just like the good old days where they ate and drank together with the Lord, where they followed him and watched his mighty miracles and heard his wonderful teaching. But it was actually not to be. Yes, those were wonderful times, but those days had now passed. Christ had finished that part of his ministry. 
He'd been raised to everlasting life in a glorified body, and he would soon ascend to the Father in heaven, and he would need to ascend there. And that meant that the old fellowship with Mary and the disciples that he had during his ministry, it was also now finished as well. However, this did not mean that Christ would no longer have fellowship with his followers. Actually, quite the contrary. Fellowship with the, with the living Christ, with the ascended Christ, would only grow deeper and richer beyond, far beyond what they had before. See, Christ already said earlier in John's gospel, it's for our benefit that he returned to the Father. For from there, he would send the Holy Spirit into the hearts of his followers. And Christ himself, even though he was in heaven, he would live in the hearts of his people by the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Even though he's in heaven, Christ lives in me. And this would be true for Mary too, a deeper and a richer experience of fellowship with Christ, deeper and richer than Mary had while Christ had his ministry on earth. And this is also true for us who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, Christ Jesus, though he is in heaven, he lives in our hearts as well. And so our ascended Lord, he's with us wherever we go. And there's never a time or a place that we are apart from him or that he is absent from us. For that we can rejoice. We have fellowship with the ascended Christ, even though there's that distance there, yet he is closer to us than anyone that is around us in this life. Indeed, we can rejoice in that. And there's another reason why Mary must not cling to Christ and that he must ascend to heaven. He tells Mary in this passage, I've not yet ascended to the Father. And then he adds, go tell my, to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to my God. And these words show us, first of all, the importance of the person of Christ. Christ says, I'm ascending to my Father and, and my God. Well, Christ, of course, is true man. And as true man, he can properly call the Father his God. And now the man, Christ Jesus, was ascending right into heaven's throne room. And there he would enjoy fellowship with his God at God's right hand. And Christ is also true God. He is God's son. This means he can properly refer to the father as his father. And in fact, in a unique way. God the son is begotten of God the father before all ages. There's never a time when... God the Father was without his only begotten Son. And although his divine nature is pre present everywhere, his divine nature is still united to his human nature. And Christ, the divine Son of God, was, was ascending to the very presence of his eternal Father. And it is fitting for him to do that. If it was fitting for him to 
be in his father's house in Jerusalem when he was a little boy? How much more fitting is it for him to ascend into the presence of his eternal father? This is something he longed to do. Jesus prayed in John 17, just a few chapters before our reading. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. And that would soon take place. And these words of Christ, they also give us beautiful insights into his saving work. Our Lord Jesus had just endured the cross. And what was the cross? Well, it, it was the curse. God's wrath had been poured out upon him for our sins. Cursed is everyone who is hung from a tree, says Scripture. However, this is not to say that God the Father was ever angry with Christ himself. Yes, he received the wrath of God, but God still loved his son, even while Christ was receiving the wrath of God for our sins. And this love of God is shown emphatically by the fact that Christ can now ascend to his Father's presence. He endured the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God for our sakes, taking it away from us. But God still loved his son. That justice of God had been satisfied. And so now he was lovingly welcomed into the presence of God. Christ's redeeming work was finished on the cross. And it was important for him to ascend to heaven after the cross because it's a testimony to us. It gives assurance to us that God the Father has accepted the redeeming work of Jesus Christ for our sins. After pouring out his wrath on his beloved son, he gladly welcomed his son into heaven. And that gives us assurance of Christ's saving work on our behalf. You see, the Father showed his absolute delight in his Son's work by the ascension. We see this in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 applies Psalm 8 to the person of Christ when it says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, that is us who believe in him. Right? These words are indeed true of Christ. Christ was made a little bit lower than the angels in his incarnation. And he was made the lowest of all in his humbling himself unto death on a cross. But then because of that obedience unto death, he was crowned with glory and honor because of his obedient suffering. He humbled himself completely and now he was exalted eternally. And this gives us stability to our faith as well. In fact, it's an, an anchor for our souls. When Christ ascended to heaven, it's an emphatic declaration that Christ's saving work for your sins is accepted by God. You need never doubt. God the Father is still as delighted today in the finished work of his son Jesus Christ as when Christ 
completed that work on the cross. And Christ will remain in his Father's presence forever. So we always, we always have our Savior there. Even now, as I speak these words to you, Christ is in heaven. Our Savior is there for us. And so no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what difficulties you might face or might be facing right now, Christ your Lord, your Savior is there in heaven and he is there for you also as we hope to see in our next point, the good news of Christ's ascension. So Christ's ascension proves significant not just for Christ, of course, but also for us. We've already seen something of that. You can hear this in, especially in Jesus' words to Mary in our text. He says, do not cling to me, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And notice, notice the first thing he says, go tell my brothers. This is the first time Christ has called his disciples his brothers. One reason Christ's language is so surprising is because of what they had just done to the Lord. They had all abandoned him in his time of great need. The soldiers came and arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all the disciples, they were scattered. They ran away. And even though Peter followed him into the courtyard of the high priest, he then denied the Lord Jesus three times. And Christ suffered and died alone, apart from his disciples. And yet once he rises from the dead, what does he first call them? He calls them his brothers. Who tell my brothers. And this is the mercy of Christ our Savior. He died for his disciples too, his, his sinful disciples to make them his brothers. And this is what Christ has done for us also who believe in him. He died to make us his brothers and his sisters. See the grace of God and our Savior in this. Who are we? We're by nature children of wrath. And yet we, we can be called the brother, the sister of Christ, our ascended Lord. People who deserve to be rejected by him. As we read in Hebrews 2, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And that includes us. And this is the mercy and in, in the, the faithfulness of Christ, our high priest, in the service of God. And we can rejoice. We have our brother in heaven serving as our great high priest before the throne of God. Have you thought of that when you think of Christ, your high priest? He's there as your high priest. He's there also as your brother. And he is our high priest. He's patient and merciful towards us. Also, as we see how he acted towards his disciples. In love, he serves us. And the ascending Christ calling his people, his brothers, was also prophesied in 
In Psalms 22, which we read or we sang from, it's a messianic psalm. It predicts the sufferings of Christ so clearly, but it also tells of his glories. And verse 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. The exalted Christ, though not yet ascended, refers to his people as his brothers in fulfillment of scripture. And that's the effect of his suffering and death. God has made us part of God's, or Christ has made us part of God's family. And you can hear this also in in Christ's further words to Mary. Go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And this is the good news of Christ's ascension. See, what Christ did in his saving work is not primarily for himself, but for us. For Christ could say these things of God, he's my God, my Father, naturally. But we could not. We estranged ourselves from God. But Christ saved us so that we can say these things of God too. And this includes his ascension. He shares his privileges, his blessings with us. He ascended to our Father to our God. And think about what these words mean for a moment. Let's dig into them a little bit more. Think about calling God our God. This is covenant language. You see, the heart of the covenant, the heart of the covenant is, that covenant is God's relationship with his people. The heart of the covenant is when God promises that he will be our God and when he assures us that we will be his people. This is perhaps the central theme throughout all of scripture. This promise, I will be your God, it's, it's a climax of salvation. It's the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises. And you can see this throughout the entire Old Testament scriptures And I could list passage after passage to show this. I'm just going to stick to a few. A few passages that show this language of God being our God is central to the covenant. Consider only God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17. The Lord promised to be God to Abraham and his descendants. They would be his people. There's Exodus 29. It's a passage that describes the consecration of the Old Testament priests when they were put into service for the people. And there God says, Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. There's also Ezekiel 11 where God says, And I will give Israel one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I'll give you one more, Ezekiel 37, where Yahweh promises this. My servant David shall be king over my people and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules. They shall dwell in the land. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I shall multiply them and set them in my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. 
My dwelling shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, whenever we see God's wonderful covenant promises coming out in the Old Testament, often we see Yahweh repeating that promise with that emphasis at the end, I will be their God, they shall be my people. That's quite a few passages I just listed. Let me highlight a few things from all of them. Promise that God will be our God is connected in these passages to the work of, of priests. It's connected to the coming king. Its climax is found in God living in with his people, God's people living in the presence of God. It's also brought about by the Spirit. And we see all of these things being fulfilled in the ascension of Christ. Christ ascended into heaven as our great high priest who represents us before God. He made atonement for our sins as priest, and he does this work of, as priest so that God will forever be our God. And Christ ascended into heaven as king. And he is our righteousness in heaven before God, and he is the one who protects us. And he does this so that we will forever be God's people. Christ our king will make it happen ensures that it will be there. And Jesus ascended right into the very presence of God, God living together with his people. And he, our head, also assures us that we as body will one day too live in the presence of God. And so God will always be our God. And after he ascended into heaven, Christ poured out the Holy Spirit who gives us a new heart so that we might walk in God's ways. And God says, indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so all of these Old Testament covenant promises, these beautiful promises, they find their fulfillment in our ascended Lord. And that's why Christ says, I'm ascending to my God and to your God. He uses that covenant language. And so whatever promise God has made throughout all of scripture, we find its fulfillment in Christ our Lord, in Christ our ascended Lord. We look to no one else. We look to Christ alone. All of God's promises are yes and amen in him. We see similar things calling God our father. This too, in a way, is covenant language. What did God say about his people in the book of Exodus? Israel is my firstborn son. He was a father to them. This is echoed in Hosea 11 where God says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. God rescued his son Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he rescued them so that he might live with them eternally. That's what the book of Exodus is all about God saving his son, redeeming his son. And so then the tabernacle was also constructed near the book of, end of the book of Exodus. And God's glory filled that tabernacle. Showing that God desired to live with his people, his son. And the rest of scripture makes clear the Old Testament tabernacle was just a copy of the heavenly one. And Christ ascended there. He redeemed us so that we could be called children of God, so that we could call God our Father. 
As John chapter 1 already said, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it's by Christ's ascension that God is bringing not just Christ to glory, but as we read from Hebrews 2, God is bringing many sons to glory. And that includes us who believe in Christ. He's, God is bringing us to glory as he brought Christ to glory in his ascension. And that's why Christ's words are so precious in our text. Tell my brothers, which includes us, I'm ascending to my father and to your father. God in Christ is bringing many sons to glory. In Christ alone, God's promises are fulfilled. And his promises are assured in Christ. So whenever you're battling with doubts, keep coming back to these words of Christ, our Lord, in our text. Where he says, not only to his disciples, but also to you who look to him in faith. I'm ascending to my God and to your God. I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father. Christ is not speaking empty words here, for he never does. His words are certain and true. Again, this gives us hope, this gives us comfort. This is an anchor for our souls. Keep coming back to these words when you're battling doubts. He's ascending to our God and to our Father. And we can also look forward in hope because of these words. Christ went before us into the heavenly places. And so we can right now enjoy something of heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also look forward in hope. Our ascended Lord Jesus has freed us from slavery of fear of death. And after our earthly life, Christ our head, our ascended head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. One day we will live in God's presence too in the new heavens and the new earth as we read in Revelation 21. And I heard, as we read in Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Christ Jesus, our ascended Lord, has secured this future for us. Let us rejoice in him this day and every day. Amen.